What's up, everyone? This is episode number 61 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Also, this show is a member of the BenchClear Media Network, so I encourage you to give the network a follow, whether you're into market analysis or pack openings or the Last Dance documentary. There's a variety of different things there for you to check out. All right, so at the start of last week's episode, I talked a little about the NBA's new Professional Pathway program, and this new program allows high schoolers to forego the college experience, make a good amount of money, and develop in a more controlled NBA environment. And the two big names that signed up for this program last week were Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd. So two pretty high prospects. Um, I talked a little bit about how I thought that might affect the cardboard side of things. Well, we've had a couple more interesting developments since then. On Tuesday, Chris Haynes tweeted out that Jalen Green has signed an exclusive memorabilia deal with Upper Deck. Now, unfortunately, that's all the info that we have on this. I checked the Upper Deck blog and their social media, and they didn't have anything to offer. If this is like past deals that they've made with athletes, and remember, this is only speculation using past cases, but if it is, then this would be a multi-year deal and would carry into the 2021-22 season where we should see Jalen Green's first NBA rookies. And if it's like the Ben Simmons deal, we won't see any autographs in an NBA uniform and we won't have relic cards until they can purchase a game-worn jersey on the open market. Um, So this was a pretty interesting early strategic play from Upper Deck, if that is the case. Um, You know, from a strategic standpoint, I think it's interesting. I think it will be fun to track. I don't know if it'll be good or, or you know good for cards or not. If you'll remember the Ben Simmons situation drove up, um, it really caused, in my opinion, caused the silver prism craze. This is a little different than the Simmons situation though because there wasn't a one-year gap then. He was playing college ball instead. Um, and then remember, they couldn't get any game-worn jerseys for him because he got hurt before the season started. Um, also, last week I voiced my hopes for a prison draft picks and prospect set. I don't even know at the moment what Panini's options are. There's just so much uncharted territory here, so I'm excited to see how this unfolds over time. Speaking of uncharted territory, then, uh, the NCAA responded to the NBA's pathway program with a move of their own. On Wednesday, Shams tweeted out, Quote, the NCAA says it is expected to adopt new name, image, and likeness rules for athletes starting 2021 and 22, allowing them to receive compensation for third-party endorsements and opportunities such as social media, businesses, and personal appearances. Now, I'm sure there are card-related consequences to this, to this decision as well. Remember, Panini owns the college license, but we don't normally see cards of a player until they're done with college. Well, what if Panini now decides, you know, hey, we want to make an ACC set, and then they work out licensing deals with all of the current Duke and UNC guys, even if they're not ready to move on to the NBA. 
you know, who knows? That that could be interesting. Like I said earlier, I don't really know what all is possible now. It's fun to speculate, um, but that's really all that I can do. And remember, this change won't happen before the 2021-22 season. But regardless, I'm excited to see where things go from here. And finally, before I segue into part two of my conversation with Tone, I got a lot of feedback from you guys last week. Um, Thank you. Seems like you really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad Tone was able to come on. So I played part one. I'm going to play part two in a moment here. Before then, I want to talk real quick about Fanatics. You might know this brand from buying their exclusive optic sets um, or some of your favorite team's merchandise. Well, now you can help support the Wax Museum podcast every time you shop there for fan gear or collectibles. If you'd like to help the show in this way, you can go to benchclear.us slash fanatics. Just shop as planned, get a nice discount, and then the BenchClear Media Network gets a small commission as well. We're part of their affiliate program. It's a win-win. Once again, if you're interested in that, it's benchclear.us slash fanatics. Okay, well, speaking of gear, last week I played part one of my conversation with Tone Stakes of Game Use Tone. He is a former Upper Deck and Panini employee, We talked about how he was responsible for purchasing some of the gear that they used in their memorabilia cards. He's also facilitated a number of autograph signings with some of the NBA's biggest names. And that's where we'll pick things up today. Like I said last week, this one was a lot of fun for me, and I hope you enjoy it too. Um, As you mentioned in our introduction, you were a big part of the autograph process. I think you said that's where you started at Upper Deck too. Correct. So you, you've, you've got a major, uh, a major role in that as well. You were in charge with, of some of the exclusive player signings, such as Kobe and Kevin Durant. Correct. So when you're sitting there and you're conducting a signing, do the ones with the, the really big names like that, first off, are they um, in person? It's my understanding that Kobe's were all in person. Uh, yeah, so everything memorabilia, um, while I was there, uh, it could have changed, but I highly doubt it. But I would think that uh, every single memorabilia signing is done with a Panini, uh, a Panini employee. So there, you know, companies will say like a representative. There's times where they send out a, a representative, somebody that knows the process and but doesn't technically work for Panini or Tops or Upper Deck or whatever. Right. I've had a, a friend that was a representative yeah. a long time ago and that we use that term very loosely. <laughs> yeah, you really have to uh, you really have to have representatives that you know very well because you don't want obviously additional autographs going out from that signing or photographs with the athlete or anything like that. So, uh, you know, you try to keep your representative core pretty tight. Um, And a lot of times you'll utilize people with the teams to be those representatives because they have access to the players. They can get that done uh, and they can help confirm that it was done in front of a presence of a representative. Right. So uh, but but any of the memorabilia signings, anytime the guys, uh, the players are signing photos, jerseys, balls, shoes, anything like that. There is a Panini employee there, and it was there's a handful of people that do the, the signings just because they've had the experience and they've done it. Um, and it's usually one or two people would be out there doing those signings, uh, sometimes more depending on the, the, the style of it. But they never tell you when it is, what it is. Obviously, they don't want anybody knowing those uh, those details. 
Um, and, and then the player doesn't want anybody knowing that either, right? Hey, we're doing a signing with Kobe Bryant and it's at such and such location at such <laughs> and such time. And so, you know, it wouldn't be a good idea. So, uh, so yeah, it was, a uh, those were spectacular. I mean, lots of great signings with, I mean, absolute legends of, of the game of basketball. Um, uh, one thing I really liked when you guys, um, were partnered with Kobe is, uh, they had Panini had videos of him signing the cards and he talked a mm-hmm. little bit about them. Um, mm-hmm. And um, is was that normal? I mean, was there usually some dialogue with the players about the cards and their designs, or was a lot of it just business as usual? It totally varied by the player. Um, you know, we always when we were when I was at Panini, you were always trying to get images of the guys signing, or even for just the social media team, right, to promote out that we did a signing to help sell some of the products. Uh, but it, it all depended on the players. Sometimes the players, you know didn't want photos that day or didn't want to do videos or anything like that. And you're always, it's a partnership. So it's a give and take, right? You don't, you wasn't always like, no, you will sit down and then take a photo or do a video or tell me about these cards. Uh, there was a lot of conversation always about the cards. And, and as you got to know the players, you know, it's just like any relationship, right? When you get to know your neighbor a little more, you have a little more conversation, they open up a little more about their lives. And so as as the time went on, we got to know some of those players really well. And it, it was a very easy conversation with them. And some of the guys were absolutely spectacular. And, and truth, I mean, you would catch guys, you know, after a loss or after a, a tough, you know, personal moment or various things. And so you had to be mindful of those interactions that it was strictly business that day just to get the stuff done and get out of there and, and not, you know, uh, you know, make try to make it your best uh, positive experience for those players. So um, I know this situation wasn't Panini, but I, I am going to bring this up. This was um, a Patrick Ewing signing that took place with Steiner. And mm-hmm. um, this was before Patrick had come back and started signing with the companies again. I think it was before even Leaf got him to sign some stuff. So he he had this deal with Steiner. People could send their cards in. Uh, I mean, it was like it was like three hundred bucks because this guy just never signed stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know even when I used to try and get autographs in person, I think he fist bumped my binder. That was like the most I ever got from him. <laughs> but um, anyway, at this signing with with Patrick Ewing, um, he he pretty much just mailed it in. Uh, and I say that having seen the evidence, there were a lot of rookie cards that he ruined with a one or two letter autograph that didn't look like his autograph, even though he did sign it. Um, and it seemed like no one at Steiner ever stopped him and because of that, they had to issue a lot of refunds and they even had to bring them in again as a result. So mm-hmm. um, having been there, if you notice that a player is, uh, let's say, wearing out, for lack of a better term, do you mm-hmm. ever have to step in and do a little coaching or do you just filter those signatures out later on and deal with it? That's that's definitely a, a thing that happens, a, you know, I don't want to say often, but occasionally. Um, you know, I, I look at it like, there are times when you don't want to go to work and you're not feeling good and somebody keeps telling you, you got to go today. You got this thing happening. You got to go. Um, we try to be mindful of those situations. There are times where those players did not want to sign for whatever reason, you know, a variety of reasons. Right. right. And so there are times where you could see that they were just, hey, you know, I'm, I'm contractually obligated to be here. So I'm going to try to push through this and give you one letter signatures and. So depending on the relationship with the player, you could have 
various conversations. You try to be mindful of what they're going through. You know, you could ask them, you know, let's take a break. Hey man, you know, let's try and change this up. I mean, there, there are certain things you try, but there are definitely times where I've stopped signings early just because I could see that like it was not going to go well. And, and, you know, and, and that has hurt uh, trading card products where that the trading card, those autograph cards didn't make it into a product. So then therefore there were redemptions or the, the set got pushed back. And there's a lot of variables as we talked about that happened. Um, but it was that versus having a card where that the person opens it in a pack and goes, what the heck is this autograph? You know, like this looks, right. this doesn't look like his autograph. And it's, so there, there's, th- I can tell you that had happened to me a handful of times, sometimes with big players, sometimes with, 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 you know, uh, Entry level players, you know, players that just got into the league, right. um, like Maurice Ager signing a, well, <laughs> an X or an A or whatever he signed. There, and, and you know, you try to. I, I always try to explain to players and agents too, because agents have so much access to these players and try to have regular conversations with their clients. That to me, a signature is a branding opportunity. When you look at an autographed basketball, if it just says K. You have no clue who that is. You don't. You don't know what it is. You don't know anything about. It doesn't. The buyer, the person that has it on display, then there's no excitement. When somebody walks in the room, they go, "What is that?" You know. When you look at somebody, and I and I, I can attest, there's a few autographs that to me are just unbelievable. And Michael Jordan's one of them. Michael Jordan is a guy mm-hmm. that, and when I was at Upper Deck, I did signings with him. That it didn't matter the size of his signature, it looked spectacular. And when you walked in anywhere you saw Michael Jordan's signature, you could tell it was Michael Jordan's signature. Now there's a lot of fakes, you know, you can't tell if it's actually his or not, but 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 he has a spectacular signature. Tiger Woods is another guy like that, you know? And I think that, you know, guys have come into where it's more of a design. When you look at like Steph Curry's autograph, which I think is a beautiful autograph, but it's more of like almost a logo. You know, it doesn't right. spell out all of the Steph Stephen Curry, right? And so I've seen that a lot with, with Kyrie. He's got a KI. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. I used to joke with him that when he was signing Duke items, he would give almost a KI with an RG on the end of it. And I was like, is that because you're a bigger fan of Duke than you are the NBA? Or what's happening here? Why do you get <laughs> a little bit more out of your signature? And I, and I don't even think it was stuff he thought about. It was just, you know, I caught him in those times and he was signing a little more. Um and I, and I do. I think I think you can see that when you look at Kobe Bryant's autograph. Kobe Bryant's autograph changed throughout the years. Uh, had a lot of similarities, but changed where that he got to a point where I think he realized it became a piece of his brand, and so he was very mindful about how it looked great. You know that he was making Kobe was a very particular person, and he would he would make a he would be disappointed in himself if he didn't have good signatures. Like he right. he wanted to make sure that whoever paid top dollar for his items. They got a great signature, you know, and he would even, I mean, I'll tell you that he was one of those guys that if he made a bad mistake on it, he would scribble through it and he would say, Hey man, if you want, that one's on me. Like if you guys have to, you know, that Jersey or whatever, he's like, either take a free autograph or that Jersey's on me because I messed that one up. And very few guys are like that. A lot of guys will run through and sign and just go, ah, that one doesn't look great, but sorry. And then pass it along. You know, so there, there's right. a lot of differences. It's, it's, it's tricky in that space. It seems like the, um, all of the really big guys really get branding, whether it's Tiger or Jeter or Jordan, um, LeBron. I mean, like LeBron was incorporating whatever number he was wearing into a signature at a different time. Um, so it, like you said, I, I, that's a good point. I think it really goes back to branding. 
I, I don't think I think the bigger guys get it because they are being pitched it all the time. Usually when you're when you're that level of player, you have a brand that you're selling on a regular basis, whether that's through social media or your your partnerships, your endorsement packages, those all have a brand connected to it. I don't think players get that early on, right? It takes a little while. And I think that it takes the player to become established. I mean, you know, a player like Zion, right? He's an extremely rare breed. And so I think that because of that, he, he, he gets the idea of branding very fast because that's a topic of conversation because these guys, these guys are going to make a certain amount of money on the court. They're going to make a certain amount of money in their shoe deal, a certain amount of money in their trading card deals. But outside of those three main factors is where they separate each other, right? Where, and I was watching the last dance and they were talking about Scotty Pippen's salary and what he was, you know, doing on the, on the on the court and Michael Jordan's salary comparatively, and I'm like, when you look at Michael Jordan's income, not his salary from the game, but his income, it was his brand that Nike helped to build that made him who he is today, you know. And I think right. I think Jordan had so much to do with that, right? But I also think Nike did a lot for for that brand. I think players, and I've had this conversation with a a lot of young players, where I'm like utilize Panini America as helping you build your brand. You know, guys don't want to do social media posts. They're like, I should get a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars for a post. I'm like, you know how you get a free post? Show a picture of you signing uh cards for Panini. Panini will repost that. Panini has whatever hundred thousand followers, whatever they got, that are die hard basketball fans. Those people are building your brand utilize those brand leverages. Same thing with Adidas. If you're a partner with Adidas or Nike or whoever, utilize those things. But a lot of times agents, you know, and, and I specifically, you know, are talking about the marketing people with these with these individuals, either they don't get the time to have that conversation regularly with the player, or they don't show the impact of it because those players are making great money on the court and great money from trading cards and great money from shoe endorsement deals and signings and that type of stuff. But they could make so much more from their partnerships if they allowed their partners to build their brand and they built relationships on building that brand. And so forgive me, I know that's not where this was where this was going, but that's that's a field that I really think could help all the partners. And I, I really think it helps the collectors, right? Because as as those players continue to grow their brand, their secondary card value increases in value because now that player is somebody that more people want because they see him on every commercial and doing social media posts where he's funny or entertaining or whatever. That goes back to the collectors, which are what, you, what your listeners are, right? These are guys that are like, hey, man, I you know I, I buy cards because I'm a fan, but I also – some of it's an investment. Some of it I'm looking to maybe in two years make some money on this stuff or whatever these cards are. And so – that I think that circles back into making it all better for for the community in general. Yeah, well, I think it is relevant because I know, you know, there have been a few times where I'll see somebody, um, you know, whether it be an interview or a, a video on social media, and I think, you know, what I want to get something from that player. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that player has done something for me. I appreciate it. I want something to remember that by. Um, so I no think question. that does happen. Um, you mentioned some of the, the bigger names in your interactions with them, which um, I, you know, I always love hearing that. Before we move on to some of the controversy, do you have, <laughs> do you have any specific memories or um, maybe things you've heard, crazy things happening at signings that um, you think that people might get a kick out of? Oh, man, I got so many stories. I, <laughs> I, I think a couple that, that you know, I think are 
are, are pretty amazing stories to me. Um, one was of of Kobe Bryant uh, when I remember we were doing a signing and Donald Trump was uh, just getting started with you know considering going for, running for president like very very early on. Right. We were doing just a come signing. down the escalator, right? Yeah, yeah. He he was he was just getting started with the conversation and Kobe Bryant said, That's your future president and I was like, No chance, man. Like and I and I'm not I'm not political by any means. I don't dislike or like Donald Trump. That's not my statement here, but I was just like you're talking about a businessman who's a reality T V show. Like that doesn't make any sense. That's not happening. And he and he, he goes this guy gets people to love him or hate him. He just has to work on getting more people to love him. And if he does, he's going to be your president. I was like, that's not happening. So <laughs> fast forward, obviously, we know how it plays out. I do a signing with him maybe uh, uh, three months or so after Donald Trump becomes president. I do a signing with him, and he goes, you know I told you that, right? <laughs> and and I, I was just like, where, where was the insight? And he goes, man, he goes, what I've noticed just in my in my career is that, you know, you can sway a large population by how you act and how you interact and how you go about that. And he's like, that is Donald Trump is a very, very smart guy. And whether you like him or dislike him, he has he he's very smart. He knows how to sway people. And so we had this conversation. I think that was, you know, that was an, a moment that I mean, that was the first moment I thought of um, when when I heard Kobe passed and I thought. That was cool. I don't, you know, obviously he could have told a thousand people that I don't know, but I felt like that was a, a cool little interaction we had, and I had I had many of them with him. Uh, you know, I know that there was there has been times where I have held people's babies while they signed, which <laughs> I definitely don't, uh, you know, don't think that that was a good idea. I mean, I, I have children of my own, but. <laughs> Probably I wouldn't put my kids. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put my kids in somebody else's hands when they were babies. By no means. Um, I guess I just look like a trustworthy face. I don't know. Um, but but I've done that. I have had. I think one of my favorite stories is uh, is I was doing a signing with Michael Robinson, who was at the, with the 49ers at the time, and he came out of Penn State. I, forgive me if that name is incorrect. I believe it's Michael Robinson, and we were doing a signing. And him and his girlfriend, uh, they're both African-American, and they were we were watching a show called The Chappelle Show. And <laughs> while we're sitting there, this is unbelievable. While we're sitting there, I'm doing the signing, and I'm a Caucasian man. I'm Hispanic, but look more Caucasian. And I uh, and I we're doing the signing, and the skit comes on where Dave Chappelle is a blind African-American man who's extremely racist. Clayton Bixby. Correct. So I, I am sitting there. I am doing this signing. Michael Robinson and his girlfriend at the time, I, I don't know if they ended up marrying, I don't know, um, are sitting there and they are cracking up. And I'm sitting there going like, man, this is uncomfortable because on one end, it's extremely funny. But on the other end, I am the people that they are laughing at because of this skit, right? And so he's signing, he's signing, the, the skit's going on and he looks over at me and he goes – this has got to be extremely uncomfortable for you, isn't it? And I was like, thank you for saying that because it was extremely uncomfortable watching this. And just because, you know, it's, it, it's so funny to me and it, 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 it makes me think of whenever you're seeing something, especially on TV or you're listening to something, uh, your experiences are what's helping to gauge that, that emotion that's coming out of what you're witnessing, right? And so we were from two different backgrounds. And not, I'm not even saying just eth ethnically. I'm saying that just different backgrounds altogether, right? And we're sitting right. in this room watching a, a absolutely hilarious skit that 
the entire, you know, the majority of the world probably thinks it's pretty funny, but I was in a situation where I could not, I, I was put in a tough spot because if I laugh at that, there's now a secondary conversation that's being had that is not my proper place as a professional sitting there doing a signing, right? So, right. <laughs> so it was a very extreme position, but uh, definitely one I'll remember, you know, for my days for sure. That's one of those days where you say, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> I probably had more than those that I'd like, but, but, uh, but no, I mean, and truthfully, I mean, I, I am very, very grateful to Upper Deck and Panini for allowing me to do that. I mean, I got to meet so many of my, uh, my, you know, absolute heroes growing up, um, and got to become cordial with some, which, which I, you know, I, I think is just a dream in the, at the end of the day. Um, so, so far, all, all that we've talked about is primarily signings that took place in person. Um, mm-hmm. How many in, in the alternative would then be, which I think we've referred to is um, players being mailed cards. How mm-hmm. many, uh, what percentage of cards would you say are signed um, with a Panini rep there as opposed to cards being signed at home? Oh, uh, it's, and, it's a, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And I know, I know that gets tricky because you said the team has some reps too. Yes. Um, so just your best estimation. Yeah, I, I would say it's probably in the 80 to 85 percent are signed with a a Panini rep uh, of some sort. And, and most of it because of because they utilize team personnel to help with. And I'm speaking basketball, forgive me, because I, I couldn't speak to everybody else's sport because I didn't I didn't work on those sports. But I know that with basketball, because of the relationship with the NBA, we were able to build relationships with the individual teams. And there was a marketing, an equipment manager, somebody with the team that would help to uh, coordinate the signings just because it made logistically everything easier, right? When you're doing, when you have seven guys on a team and you're trying to coordinate where those seven players are, it's easier to send it to somebody with the team who then knows exactly where those seven players are at all times. So uh, we utilize that. So with current basketball product, I would say it's probably 80 to 85%. The other 15 to 20% would be retired players that unless they're traveling with a team or working as an anchor at one of the programs that are a broadcaster, um, you were doing those, sending those to those. We tried to do, uh, while the time, while I was there, we tried to do representatives with them, but it wasn't always available. Um, you know, sometimes a lot of these guys, I mean, Carl Malone's a perfect example. He lives in a small town. Um, so you try to utilize his manager or his agent or his best friend or somebody to help out with that signing and try to get them to take photos. You're always authenticity right. was a, a, a major piece of it. Right. He's um, in Montana, but, right? Like who's going to go there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, it, you know, if it's big, close to a big city, we probably have representatives in those areas that we've utilized a lot. And so they can go manage these signings and they know what to do. When you start to go, yeah, it's three hours outside of Chicago. Well now, you have to ask everybody in the office, do they know anybody three hours outside of Chicago in this small town? And, you know, it, 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 it made it tougher. Um, so occasionally on those situations you would do uh, where you'd send it to them in the mail and try to get some type of authentication on it. Uh, obviously, the players that we we had worked with before or had done signings in person, it's a very easy check when the stuff would come in to, to match it up um, to make sure that it was, you know, the player's signature. Uh, they've, they've gotten really good. The people that check the autographs, they've gotten really, really good. And while I was there at the time of kind of matching up signatures, and, and once again, I say that to say they get 
hundreds of players every day, so it's not like they know every single player's autograph every time, but they do a really good job, especially when guys sign like multiple cards or multiple stickers. They can see really easy, like, wait a minute, these three pages don't look like these three pages, right? Right. Um, and so that, that's that's an ongoing issue, right? The authentication of, of autographs is very, very important to these trading card companies. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to have a 100% fail proof. Right. Okay. You know where this is going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will preface this by saying, uh, first off, it, regardless of what other people want, if I didn't ask this question, I would... I would kick myself, right? Because mm-hmm. I've I've wondered this, um, and and we'll we'll clear the first one up. There's actually two here, um, but mm-hmm. also if I didn't ask these two questions, then I think all my listeners would just quit. Um, <laughs> so the first one, let's just you were not there when the whole Luca stuff took place, correct? Correct. Yep, that was after I left. Okay, so you get out of that one easy. Now <laughs> the other yeah, but- one. I'm sorry. Go ahead. If you got something, uh, go ahead. No, I, I, I was going to say, you know, I mean, I think that there are, as we talked about before, there's a lot of variables that play into it. Um, you know, I, I, I can't tell you what how that conversation went down. I know the other one we're going to because I, I appreciate you prompting me ahead of time to kind of give me the heads up. But, you know, with, with the one with Luca is that I think that there are uh, – I, I, would, I would assume that there have been measures put in place to – squash those possibilities if they were not him signing them um but but i would say that if that was such a concern it's amazing to me that those cards that are you know um believed to be not his autograph still sell for crazy dollars right and i I think i think that i think if, if i was if i was running panini i would be like this is very odd, you know. You say that, and, and I think this is where the conversation goes, where it's collectors are fickle, right? Because at that point, I would say that those all those cards would be worth zero. He didn't sign it; right. it wasn't him. It, whether you know, if, if that's the belief. And once again, I, I'm not speaking to say he did or didn't sign it. That's that's not my my statement by any means. But if the belief is that he didn't sign it, and yet those cards still sell for thousands of dollars, then you've kind of made it a a not really a topic because if you're still willing to pay those top dollars for autographs that aren't what you believe to be his autograph, that's a hard conversation. I mean, I, you know, I I personally see it as an outside collector as like, man, you know, either make the statement and stand by it or don't, you know, like some side or the other. Yeah. I, well, I was surprised that we never got a, we'll talk more about this later, but a picture of him signing after all this went down. But, Mm -hmm. um, I also want to say though I, I think it's a trust issue because a lot of people just will trust Panini and I you know I have to sometimes take myself out of my current role like I I host a basketball card podcast so I'm I feel like I'm fairly plugged in it doesn't mean I know everything but I feel like I'm kind of plugged into what's happening and I mean months after this whole thing went down I'd go on Facebook and people were saying Oh, I just watched a video today that said that Luca autographs aren't real. Or, you know, I hear someone say that at a card show and in my head I'm thinking, where have you been? This <laughs> this thing has been going but that's because I'm plugged in. So yes. sometimes I assume that everyone is um, spending as much time on the message boards or social media or talking about cards as I am, and I have to kind of back out of that and say, Okay, wow, maybe, you know, there are a lot of people that don't know about this, so they are still buying this stuff. Or, you know, some people just trust that their 
good and you know so they're not phased by it um yeah. all right so so where i'm going with this and like i said you know <laughs> it um but i talked about this in episode 14 before i talked about the whole luca controversy um for those of you that aren't familiar with this basically there was pretty solid evidence um depending on who you talk to that um or at least there were suggestions that someone else was signing Shaq's cards and the company never acknowledged it publicly, but after this whole thing went down, it, it was a pretty big deal. His signature reverted to an old one, and Panini posted a picture, and you had a frowning shack holding up a card with the better, quote-unquote, better signature. Um, okay, what what do you have for me? What can you tell me? <laughs> well, I, I was there when this went down. Um, you know, I can tell you that it was a big issue for Panini America. I mean, you know, I, I think that, like you were saying earlier, Panini holds dear that collectors trust the word of Panini, right? That they are authentic autographs all the time. And now they do everything they can. I, I think they do a lot to try to minimize those risks. But there are definitely times where, you know, things can happen. Uh, I know that when, uh, when Shaq... When the autograph started to come on the message board and people started to point out, hey, this was this one and this was that one, there was a lot of executive meetings discussing um, how to handle this, how to go about this. We, you know, my job was to have the conversation with Shaq's agency and to say, this is a concern. How do we go about it? Um, we, you know, we had a lot of conversations about, you know, showing the examples that were shown, um, and you know, I, I think. I think at that time Panini really wanted to make it right and figure out what the what the issue was. At the time prior, we were sending to Shaq to have him autograph uh, those those cards um, because Shaq is a guy that it travels a lot and he was not it was not easy to coordinate. Okay, Thursday at seven o'clock in West Palm Beach, you know, lock it down. Like it was it was not that easy. So we we did send a lot to Shaq to sign. Um, and I know that, you know, I, I can tell you, I think I mentioned this to you earlier in our conversation uh, the last time we talked, was just that uh, I had a FaceTime with Shaq himself, and he was not happy about us questioning his autograph. And, 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 and you know, Shaq is a very, very big individual, and, and Shaq is a very friendly individual, but he was very serious about us questioning the authentication of his autographs. Um, and so we, you know, we were able to come to a, 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 a arrangement where we just said, hey, look, you know, we're not, we, we need to just make sure we're, we're taking care of everything moving forward and that we know that these are your autographs and nobody has to question it. So they started to do signings and they do a signing with Shaq every time he signs. When I was there, I assume they continued that because uh, Shaq is a, is a major name, right? And you want to make sure you get an authentic autograph from him. Um, but and, and I know one of the other things we were talking about was how it was handled on Panini's behalf. I was there when that came about. Um, you know, I think that you don't always handle um, challenges or, or, or dilemmas correctly. I think that if you asked the executives at Panini, I think they would say that they wish they would have handled that differently, um, how they addressed it with the public. Um, but that's hindsight, right? It's easier seen in hindsight. Sometimes you underestimate the the uh, the problem itself, and so sometimes I think you don't give it the uh, the level of 
attention publicly like you did privately. And I, and I can tell you, I mean, there was a lot, we spent a lot of time talking about Shaq's autograph. I mean, a lot of time. Uh, I, as we talked about before, you know, I think there are some times where collectors will sometimes to start a conversation or to start a, um, uh, you know, an issue or just to get visibility, they will sometimes erase the autographs and then put different autographs on there and say, these are, you know, oh, this is, I got this and this is how Shaq's autograph or whoever, whoever was like that. We had seen that a couple times as well. So you're always trying to take in all of the information, assess it, make a sound judgment on how to approach it with your public. Because at the same time, you don't want your consumers, your customers to consider that all of your items could potentially be fake, you know? Um, right. but, but there's, there's also, there's so much technology, um, you know, that are out there that make it very hard to, to determine that. I mean, you know, I can tell you there was, while I was there, there was a thing with Dak Prescott. Um, you know, once again, all of those elements, you're taking in all your thousands and thousands of autographs you are receiving every single day. I, I don't even know the number. I remember the number when I was there, but it was a ridiculous number of autographs that Panini receives every, you know, every year for cards and the autographs items. And when you look at the percentage of whether or not Shaq signed those or not, and I'm, I'm not making a statement either way because, you know, as we talked about before, there's, there are some items that I could see there were similarities in the signature. And then there were some other elements I couldn't see, you know, and I'm not an autograph expert. I would leave that to the guys at Beckett and PSA and, you know, those type of guys. That's, that's where I would leave that space. But I definitely think that Panini spent a lot of time trying to uh, limit the amount of risk they were under, protect the the movement of the collectors moving forward, and try to make better decisions moving forward, right? And and I, I do think that there were moments where we could have done it better, and I, and I and I take blame on that too, right? There were times where we could have made better statements to to protect what was going on. Um, but I think the, the main point was that they fixed it moving forward. If there was any concern, if there was any potentially, you know, fake, not, not real autographs or that type of stuff. And, and that, that's, that's a tough, tough pill to swallow for sure in my career. Cause I think that that's a part of who I will have. I'll have that with me forever, right? That under right. my watch, this is what happens, you know? And so that's why I can, I can speak to it in this sense, um, you know, and tell you that there was just, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it was washed under the rug. I don't feel like Panini was looking at it from the perspective of, ah, this doesn't matter. Let's keep moving forward. And, and, and because of that time, I believe that they probably are doing this or were doing the same thing with Luca. I don't think that they just kind of were like, ah, no big deal. People are still buying cards. Move on, you know, type thing. I don't think that at all. Right. Well, I appreciate your uh, openness with that. That um, definitely... I, I don't want that that to be go to go unnoticed, but um, and I know I mentioned this to you before too. I, I felt like their response with the with Shaq holding up the card, it was from a collector standpoint, it was a little insulting. It was mm. to to me, and I know, like you said, you did not orchestrate that response, but to me, it almost seemed like let's see how stupid these people really are, um, and yeah. that that might not be what they said or meant but that's kind mm -hmm. of the way it came across yeah i i think you have and, and not to continue to say the multiple variables but there's a lot of people involved in that conversation right you have shaquille o'neal you have shaquille o'neal's agent you have shaquille o'neal's attorney 
those people are are very important in this conversation because they are now considered part of this liable lawsuit if this goes down, right? Like they are part of this conversation. So they have to be very mindful of how that gets addressed. And I think, once again, I think that after the, uh, the, you know, the brain trust that was happening in that conversation of how to go about it, I think it would have been done differently if it was today. Um, and they learned from what they had done then, but, um, you know, there there was a lot of people that were involved in that in that conversation and and how that was going to be relayed to the the public, um, and and once again, I think I think we fail sometimes as people, right? I I would say personally, I felt like that was not done strong, and I, that's not me speaking on behalf of Panini. That's me speaking on behalf of Tone Stakes, right? I if you talk to the, the executives of Panini, they may have a different statement on that, but I felt like it could have done been done better. Um, but but I do think that they it, it it mattered to them very very much on how they went about it. I just think sometimes the outcome didn't didn't show the care and concern of the actual time spent figuring it out. Uh, one thing that's that's really emerged in our conversations now is that uh, Panini, whether we feel so feel that they are or not, they are definitely listening and paying attention. Um, as someone who's been on the inside, what, what do you think collectors can do to make their voice be heard? Not necessarily to complain, but even if there's stuff that, that they like, like I told you about the Hickory shorts, I really Mm -hmm. like those cards. Um, you know, I can tweet about the, that card all day, but is there something better for me to do? You know, what can I do to say, Hey, Panini showing that provenance was awesome. This card rocks. I love it. Yeah, I, I do. I think I think that is seen. I think that, you know, when you're tagging those trading card companies, whether it's Panini, Upper Deck, or Tops, or Leaf, or, you know, I think that those those companies are appreciate that, and they're seeing it, right? They have people that are specifically covering those spaces to make sure that they're seeing as much as, as that as possible. Now, do I think they see everything? I don't, but I do think that they, they try to cover those because, as we were talking about early on, you're really trying to give the buyers what they want, right? You're trying to create those elements that they go, okay, this is working. Everybody likes this. We'll continue this or we'll expand upon this. Oh, nobody likes this idea. Okay. Why did they not like it? What could we do differently? And I do think that the, the product development teams for sure are spending a lot of time on that because that's their, their business. Their business is to determine what trading card, you know, work because if they don't make good trading cards, they're going to have to find other jobs, right? They're, so they are passionate about trading cards. I mean, none of the people in the in the product development space that I saw in the, while I was there were people that were not card collectors themselves, where that they, they knew the market. They're, it wasn't like, oh, this guy came over. He's a great creative guy from an advertising agency, and now he's going to make trading cards. No, they were all guys that had, you know, a lot of people from, you know, supplemental com- com- companies like Beckett and stuff like that. There was a lot of those employees that had come over because these were people that were passionate about this industry. And I, and I think that they're always looking for new ideas, new things that are working. Um, so I do, I think it's just continuing to talk about it on the message boards and talk about, you know, Hey, this is why I like this program. And I, and I think maybe going a little deeper in detail, right? Hey, love this set. Okay. Why? 
why did you love this set? Hey, love this set because of the way you guys utilize this imagery, why the way you guys utilize this player list, or the way you guys, you know, whatever those elements are, expand upon that because I think that that's what they're looking for to to continue to grow their market. As as we talked about before, I definitely think that they're listening. I definitely think that those trading card companies are spending time on those message boards. But it definitely gets defeating <laughs> when every right. time you go on a message board and it's here's all the negative stuff that's happening because they're human too. They're not robots that are building these cards. These are good people that are trying to create a good product for people that like. And like all of us, right, we love the idea when somebody goes, hey, kudos, great job on that. And we don't like it when somebody goes, man, you really messed that up, right? And so I think that helping a little more and explaining Love this set because of these reasons. I think that's the productive application of forums and of uh, of you know social media that can really add value back to getting some of these other elements. And and the other thing is sometimes there's limitations, right? Hey, we'd love to you guys to do X, Y, Z, and well, we'd love to do that too, but because of limitations, you know these things are out. I, I think I mentioned to you last time we talked is that I was really passionate when I was on the basketball team. I wanted to create a a product that was street uh, legends of the game of basketball because I think there are all these stories of Earl the Goat, Man and Goat, uh, and you know um, uh, a guy that I grew up with named Shea Cotton that was a, as a playground legend in Southern California. And all of these players, and there's there's lots of them. A lot of these players, Pearl Washington's another one that jumps up while we're talking about it, but there are a lot of these players that added value to the game of basketball. And they added value in the sense that the kids that are or the players that are now in the NBA watched these players or heard about these players and they were their heroes. Now, a lot of people that grew up in inner cities maybe didn't see Michael Jordan all the time or Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, whoever. And so these guys were their legends and these are the guys they followed. And so I wanted to create a set where I thought you utilize some of those players some of those individuals, you know, whether they're still alive or not, do some autographs if they've got memorabilia, throw some memorabilia in it and utilize those players because and then have the current players talking about them. You know, maybe that's what the, the copy is on the back. Kevin Garnett talking about his, you know, his teammate Ronnie Fields, who in an area where I grew up, Chicago, he was a legend. He was a playground legend and he got into a I think a motorcycle accident and caused, you know, injuries with his life or with his uh, body and so he couldn't continue that career, but these are players that I thought would be a great insert. I bring this up to say that, you know, when we brought that conversation to the NBA, the NBA is very particular about how their brand is. And they said, you know, love the idea. Sounds awesome. However, these weren't NBA players. And we produce, we produce products that includes, you know, the trading card products that we agree to have NBA players. And once again, can completely respect that, right? The NBA knows right. their brand. Panini licenses their brand to create cards. It's a partnership. So that that wasn't allowed, but so there are there may be times where would really love to do this type of product. This is what you know the collectors would love to see, and there may be certain limitations that don't allow that. But I would definitely promote that. The more you know, whether it's constructive criticism or positive enhancement with more detail on those blogs and social media, I think would really add value to these trading card companies. Well, Tone, you are a wealth of knowledge, and I, <laughs> I want to thank you so much. I mean, we could talk literally for hours here. I am trying to be respectful of your time. I want to thank you for coming on on the show. Um, I hope we can chat again someday. I really, really, really enjoyed this. Um, you know, we've chatted before. I, uh, you know how much I'm into all the jersey and autograph stuff. 
Um, before I let you go, though, I want to give you a chance to plug any of your social media um, or your, any projects you're working on. I know you're involved in one right now. That sounds really cool. So this um, this time is yours. <laughs> well, first off, Kyle, man, you, you are a friend, so call me anytime. Whether we're talking on the podcast or just shooting the, the shooting the stuff together, <laughs> please feel free to call me anytime, man. I, I've enjoyed it myself. And I uh, know, and, uh, and I truly appreciate you allowing me the, the the time to talk on the podcast and to promote my business, right? So, uh, you know, my my business is Game Use Shoes. My business is called Game Use Tone. Uh, I, after I worked at Panini, I built out a business selling the Game Use Shoes of NBA players. We partner with the NBA players, so we have authentic items. I've partnered with Migray, who I believe is the top Game Use authenticator for basketball items. Uh, they have the partnership with the NBA, and they do their, a lot of their game-used jerseys. I wanted to do a shoe division. I had the conversation with with Barry Mizell and Migray. He is a spectacular partner, and we've really developed this brand. Him and his partner, Bob Gray, have just been phenomenal. And so we, we built out a business. We have a, a retail site on their page. If you just go to Migray, uh, you can see the game-used shoes that are available. We also do auctions through their Migray auctions page. I have all of my social media is Game Use Tone. I have a website as well, and my website sends everybody back over to uh, the Migrate page because that is our platform to sell. Uh, but we really just wanted to create a game use, uh, space for game use collectors as we continue to see it grow. When I was at Panini, we, we saw the growth in that area um, where collectors were getting into the sneaker heads were getting into game use shoes because they were sneaker fans and some of the basketball players get some very unique shoes. Uh, and so we wanted to make that platform where it was a, a safe space for collectors. What we saw, you know, through eBay and stuff like that. And there are definitely authentic items on eBay, but there are a lot of people that are selling fake items on eBay and people are spending very high dollars um, and are getting, you know, a, not a, not a real player's game use shoe. So uh, through Migrate, we photo match everything. Everything comes with a, uh, through Getty Images, which is Migrate's partner. They're able to get images of the actual players, those players in those exact shoes, not similar to those, but those exact shoes. Uh, and we're trying to create that platform. So once again, I appreciate you giving me a couple minutes to talk about it. If any of the people would like to connect on Instagram, Facebook, even if they just want to have the same type of conversations or reach out, have questions, I would totally uh, uh, look forward to that. Because, uh, you know, this is obviously something I've become passionate about, as you can tell. Um, you know, this is I'm a fan of this community and I truly appreciate just the opportunity to speak to it. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'll make sure to uh, post that information so other people can see it as well. And people on my social media can see it. And I will talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time, Kyle. All right. And there you have it. I want to thank Tone for coming on the show and answering all the questions I had for him. You heard him talk a little bit about his company there at the end. I will make sure to tag his social media so you can check that out for yourself. While you're at it, don't forget to check out my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.